Progressive presents Forest Metaphors about bundling your home and auto. In sports, three goals is a hat trick. And when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, you get a hat trick of great savings and round-the-clock protection. So you might be thinking, wait, that's two things. A hat trick is three. But in this metaphor, great savings counts as two goals and so does round-the-clock protection. So it's like four goals and that's more than three. It's basic math. Forced Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. Um, Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, continuing our message on entering rest. I would like to read the first three verses. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. I was going to read out of the NIV, but I realized that we don't have the NIV on, uh, so we're not on our screens, on our, our uh, presentation software. So we're going to read from the New Living Translation, verses 1 through 3. Be careful to obey all the commands that I'm giving you today. Then you will live and multiply, and you will enter and occupy the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Remember how the Lord, your God, led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Very familiar passage of Scripture, but I think we need to understand it in its context. And the first thing that we we have to say about this, I believe, is historically what is going on is, is the children of Israel, the people of Israel, they just spent four decades wandering in the wilderness. And they're now on the brink of entering into Canaan, their promised land. And so here they are about to cross over the River Jordan and go in and possess the land. And so God is speaking to them through Moses and he's preparing them so that when they go in, they're going to be able to um, handle the responsibilities and the blessings and the privileges that God is about to bestow upon them. It's an amazing opportunity that was presented to them. God wanted to establish them and raise them up as a light to the nations And you think about this, they're going to be powerful. They're going to have great influence. They would have prosperity and peace in their new land. So God is faithful. And what does God do? God says, well, I'm going to bring you into this place where you experience the fullness of all of my provision and covenant promises. I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to give you safety from your enemies. But there's a condition to all of this. How many love the conditions? How many of you like to read the fine print in a contract, right? So God says, there's a condition here, right? I mean, you hear a lot of preaching these days that just talk about God is going to bless you and God's going to answer your prayers and he's going to promote you and bring you into your destiny and do all these things. But often the condition is not articulated clearly. And can I say, guys, really that's false teaching. It's not truth, because truth, there's always responsibility. You're not going to just get blessed, but there's blessing if you're what? What's the word? Obedient, right? So what does he say here? Let's look at verse number one. 
remember, um, verse number one is very clear that God says, this is the truth that you must be obedient. You must obey me. Be careful to obey all the commands. Most of the commands. Some of the commands. Give it your best shot at least, right? I mean, come on. Right? God's not, like, nobody's perfect, right? Like, so, is this, this is what we preach. This is what we preach. Just try. God knows your heart. And the truth is, God says, be careful to obey all. In the Hebrew language, the word all means all. Everything. Be careful to obey all the commands I'm giving you today. Wow. Then, then, and only then, you will live and multiply, and you will enter and occupy the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Wow. What a powerful word. God says, keep my commandments. Some of us say, well, that's old covenant. Did you see Andy Stanley just wrote an article in a leadership magazine saying that Christians shouldn't keep the Ten Commandments? Yeah. So the truth is, Jesus taught us to teach the Ten Commandments and he even took it deeper. Because he said, it is written, you shall not commit adultery, one of the Ten Commandments. Hello. But I say to you, if you look lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. He takes it even deeper, right? So the Bible, some people say, well, that's the Old Testament. Is that relevant to us today? I don't think so. But Jesus said it was. The demands of the new covenant are even greater than the old covenant when it comes to the moral obligations of God's law. Because God says, I want to deal with your heart. I want to deal with your attitude. The physical act of murder, yeah, don't do it. But if you hate someone, you've committed murder in your heart. So which is easier to not carry out? The actual physical act of killing someone or hating someone? See, God says, I expect you to obey me. Keep my commandments. Do those things. Jesus said, if you love me, you will Keep my commandments. And, of course, he talked about loving one another and, and so on. But he was very clear that we need to follow the commands of God's word. So what happens is there is a place where God says, I need you to recognize that there are requirements, there are stipulations, there are conditions if you're going to experience all of my blessings. To Israel... The Lord was trying to teach them some very specific things. It's outlined here in our text. He, he was trying to teach them humility, right? He was testing their character. He wanted them to remain profoundly humble in heart when they crossed over into the River Jordan. He wanted them to always be entirely grateful to God and steadfastly obedient to his word. You know what? God loves us too much to give us the promise apart from a preparation process. Why is that? Why is it that God wants us to understand that we need to be tested, we need to be prepared before we can be promoted? Why? Because, let's go to Proverbs twenty twenty one. an inheritance, come on now, God's about to give the children of Israel an inheritance, right? An inheritance obtained too early in life is not a blessing in the end. Wow. 
The Good News Bible says the more easily you get wealth, the less good it will do you. The more easily you get wealth, the less good it will do you. I think one of the most stupid laws is giving 21-year-olds an inheritance. (laughs) I think they should be 65. Okay, But the truth is, many people, they get an inheritance early in their life, and what do they do? They squander it. And then later on, when they get older, they look back and they say, oh, I wish I hadn't have, you know, I hadn't blown all this money doing this or that. I don't have anything to show for it. Or, uh, And so we recognize and we realize that this is true when it comes to our spiritual responsibilities as well, with what it is that God has called, wants to give to us, how he wants to bless us. So what does the Lord do? Before Israel is taken into the promised land, he brings them into the wilderness. Of course, it was never his original intention that they spend 40 years there. But it was his plan that they go into the wilderness. And I've said this a couple of times, but because not everyone is here every week, I want to repeat it and articulate it once again. The truth is that God did not tell Israel when they were in Egypt that I'm going to take you from Egypt right into Canaan, the promised land. When you read the passage clearly, God did, of course, promise them this inheritance, but he let them know in no uncertain terms, before you go in and possess the land, I'm going to take you into the wilderness. In fact, when Moses confronted Pharaoh, he never once said, God says, let my people go, that they may go into the promised land. It's not in there. It's not in there. God said, let my people go that they might worship me in the wilderness. Worship me in the wilderness. They're going to go into the wilderness. They're going to have a feast before me. Another another example is they're going to worship me in the wilderness. Wow. Why is that? What was the wilderness like? Was it? It wasn't an easy experience for the children of Israel, was it? It was difficult. We we read in our text very, very clearly that they hungered, they thirsted. There were scorpions, there were snakes, it was hot. There was no air con. I mean, at nighttime, it was cold. It was not an easy experience for them. It was very, very difficult. I love it. It says in the message translation that God brought you to your wits end. God put upon you more than what you thought you could ever handle. Who did that? God. Why? Because God is tr- was trying to bring his people to a place of great dependence upon him. You see, the Bible is clear that God wants to settle you and I in his promises, just like Israel. He delights to, to bless his people. He wants to entrust us with influence, with, with positions, with prosperity and power. I, I, I see this. God uses people clearly in the scripture. We think of Abraham and David and, and even Jesus. They all had power and, and, and to, a, you know, popularity and, and so on. And, but yet, God wants us to recognize that there is always a place of preparation before we experience profound promotion. So God takes them into the wilderness to teach them to worship him in the wilderness. God is saying, you need to worship me in your adversity so you can walk with me in your prosperity. The truth is, if we don't learn to worship God in our wilderness, we'll never be able to praise him in our promised land. 
God wants us to be a people who can worship him in the wilderness. And that's what I preached on last week. When it doesn't make sense, when you don't feel like it, when you don't want to, when it looks like you don't have no reason to worship God, worship him anyway. Just worship him. God wants to prepare his people. And I believe that for you and me, that the same is true. God wants to bring us, so to speak, into a a spiritual place of preparation so that we understand what it is that he is preparing us for. You know, the purpose of this training in the wilderness, this training for reigning, was to bring God's people to a place of rest. You know, God said, I'm going to bring you into the promised land, the land of milk and honey, Canaan. It's also known as the place of rest. Rest. So what is rest for the new covenant believer? It's not a piece of real estate, right? It's not a geographical location for you and me. We're not going to be given Canaan. You live in Australia, right? Okay, so you're not going to go to Canaan. There might be some people that want to go to Israel. There technically is no Canaan. Well, that's debatable if you're Palestinian. You, But the truth is, according to the Bible, there's Israel. So here's Israel. You're not moving to Israel, are you? I've got some friends from New Zealand who just recently moved to Israel. That's okay. But the point I'm trying to say is our inheritance isn't a piece of real estate. Our inheritance isn't the literal, physical land of Israel. All right? Our inheritance is Christ. Our inheritance is Christ. Christ is the one who gives us rest. We inherit Jesus and all that comes with the covenant that he affected by his own blood. Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for what? For your souls. The word soul can mean life. It's, it, it, you're going to find rest for your life. I'm going to give you rest for your life. You can experience rest. God wants to give us rest. And as I mentioned, there are really at least three characteristics of this rest in the physical as it applies to us in the spiritual. First of all, it's a place where we receive the fullness of God's promises and walk in all of his covenant blessings. Wow, that's amazing. Secondly, it's a place... Well, the enemy is no longer able to harass us. You know, they, they had been wandering all this time. God says, you're going to put down roots. You're going to rest. You're going to have your own land. You're going to be established. You're going to be fruitful. And I'm going to give you rest from your enemies. I'm going to build you up. So it speaks of peace, security, righteousness. It speaks of all of these things. And rest for the children of Israel was actually to be the norm of their lives. If the longest time God intended for them originally to be in the wilderness, let's just say was six months, then they spent 40 years, not his plan. That generation had to die off so the new generation could go in. But God's original intention was a short time in the wilderness, six months, a year, whatever it was. And the rest of their days were to live in Canaan. Canaan, the place of rest, was to be the place of habitation. 
The wilderness was to be the place of visitation, a place they passed through to go to. It's a place that God wants us to experience. Yes, we go through wildernesses. Yes, we go through testings. Yes, we learn these lessons that God is trying to teach us. But the quicker we learn the lessons and the quicker we learn how to be fully obedient to God, the more promptly we can be promoted into that place of the promised land, so to speak, where we experience all that the rest, all that Jesus has promised for us. Some people think that, you know, Canaan's heaven. But Jesus said, come to me, I'll give you rest. Was he referring to when you die, you'll have rest? No, he was meaning now, right? He said, rest for your souls. Now you'll have rest. It's something that we can experience in this life when we know the fullness of all that God has made available to us. Enter rest. Wow. It's an amazing place where we enter rest. You see, an entire generation died in the wilderness and they failed to enter rest because why they would not desist from their ways and follow god's way singular they would not desist from their ways and follow god's way you know god doesn't negotiate the lord isn't looking to win any popularity contests he wants obedience. We can try to barter with him. We can try to change the terms of the contract. It's not going to happen. God says, you're going to obey me. And if you, if you won't obey me, if you don't learn and you don't apply to your life the things I'm trying to teach you, you're not going in. And like Canaan, you know, how many know you can go, like Israel, how many know you can go in and yet you can literally be depossessed from that land? Dispossessed. You can lose it even once you've got it through disobedience. And God is calling his people in this hour to a place of deep obedience. And what he wants for us is not that we would try to, you know, do all this stuff in a sense of we're, we're working to, to please him. We're working to earn our salvation. That's not what it's about at all. The scripture is clear, and here's here's what really puts it in context properly. When you look at Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, By grace we're saved, not by works, right? Lest any man should boast. It's a gift of God. We know that. But then the very next verse, verse number 10 of Ephesians 2 says, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's handiwork. One translation says we are God's masterpiece. The, the Greek word means we're God's poetry. We're God's masterpiece. And what were we created for? We are his creation. He created us for what? Good works. Read the book of Titus. You were saved to do good works. Paul says several times. We're saved not because of our good works. We were saved by grace to do good works. And good works means that we are a different people, that we're to be zealous, he says, for good works. That, that means to burn with passion, white hot passion, to do good works, to do what is pleasing to God, to live a holy life, to, to do what is, 
what is honoring to the Lord. There's a sense in which we're called to do that because of our say. So we are his masterpiece created anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good works, right? But whose good works? Yeah, good works he planned. He planned for us long ago. God planned, God has charted out the, the, the course of your life and there's things that he's planned for you and me to do. If you read Psalm 139, it says that every day of our life is recorded in his book before we were born. God has a plan, a purpose. He has a course. He has good works that he's prepared and planned for you and me to do. How do we enter rest? Hebrews chapter 4 verse 10. How do we enter rest? Let's look at this verse. It's powerful. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 10 says, The person who has entered his rest has himself ceased from his works as God did from his. Anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. If you read it, obviously it's speaking about creation and on the seventh day how God rested. And he's saying there's a rest for us. If Joshua, the King James says Jesus, but it means Joshua, the one who was a successor of uh, Moses, had given them rest, there would not be a, remest, uh, a rest that remains. But there is still is a rest for the people of God. And David speaks about that. There's still a rest. Joshua didn't bring them into the real rest. The, the rest of Canaan was just a type and a shadow of the rest that God wanted them to experience. So the rest wasn't just physical, but it was something spiritual that he wanted even Israel of old to enter into and possess. And it's true for us today. God wants us to experience his rest. He wants us to walk in that place where we experience peace, freedom. We know and, and are living in a place where the fullness of his promises, the fulfillment of his promises are happening in our lives, and we are experiencing the fullness of all of his blessings. It's a place where we walk and we live in rest. And when we enter rest, we cease from our works. But it doesn't mean we don't do works. It means we cease from our works and we commence with his works. That's the difference. And it's like Jesus, who in John chapter 5, verse 19, where it says very clearly that the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. The new covenant is about being a people that live out the works of God. Those things that God has preordained, those works that God has planned a long time ago, even before you were born. Paul said, before I was born, before I was formed in my mother's womb, he called me. He called me to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Jeremiah 1.5, before we were born, before Jeremiah was born, before he was formed in his mother's womb, he was called. And God appointed him, is what it says, to be a prophet to the nations. Wow. What an amazing truth that God has a plan for your life, for my life. 
He knows exactly what it is that he wants you to do. You may not know. You may not understand it. You may not even be doing it. But God still has a plan for your life. And the challenge of Christianity is to come to the place where we cease from our works, cease from our plans, and we begin to do what he's created us to do. And we rest. And the good news is when we come into that rest, that's where we begin to see the blessing of God. Wow. This entire generation died in the wilderness because they failed to enter rest. Why? Because they would not desist from their works, their ways. Again, going back to Deuteronomy 8, what is God saying? God says, I brought you in the wilderness to test you. I brought you in the wilderness to see whether you would obey me and whether you would delight yourself in me and you would do those things that I want you to do. But what did they do? Last week we went through the 10 different tests, the 10 tests they went through and how they tested God 10 times because every time God tested them, every time God brought them into a a situation in a difficult place between a veritable rock and a hard place, they complained. They complained, they murmured, they grumbled, and that's what kept them out of the wilderness. A complaining spirit will keep you out of the place of blessing. Come on now. Can't say amen, say ouch. A complaining spirit will block you up from the blessing of God. You think, well, what's going on? What's God doing? Let's look at Psalm 106, verses 8 through 13. I want you to see this. Let's look at Israel. Was experiencing. Israel is in Egypt at first, right? Egypt is a place of not enough. It's a place of slavery, a place of bondage, a place of deprivation. So God says, I'm going to bring you into Canaan, the place of more than enough, the place of freedom, the place of liberty. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do all these things. But before I do, I'm going to take you into the wilderness. In the wilderness, It's just going to be just enough. And you're going to have to depend upon me. And you're going to have to do things exactly the way I want you to do it and when I want you to do it. The human condition is this. I want what I want when I want it. Come on. I want what I want when I want it. That's the problem. That's what keeps us from experiencing all that God wants to do in our lives so many times. So we look at this passage of scripture. They're in Egypt. Ten plagues. God releases them. He brings them out of Egypt. They're, they're into the wilderness. They're en route to the promised land is what they're thinking. And the very first thing that happens is Pharaoh dispatches his military and calls them to pursue Israel. And the Israelites look and they see Pharaoh's army and his chariots coming in hot pursuit of them. The Red Sea is in front of them. They're hemmed in. They're not able to go forward. Pharaoh's army is pursuing them. What are they going to do? God had just proven his power and his faithfulness in their lives ten times and delivered them. But they begin to murmur. They begin to complain. And they begin to say, why did you bring us out of Egypt so that we can die here in the wilderness? Were there not enough graves in Egypt? So what ends up happening? You know, the Red Sea parts, right? Let's read this. Psalm 106. Let's start. This is verse 8. He saved them for his name's sake to make his power known. 
to make his mighty power known, he rebuked the Red Sea and dried it up. He led them through the depths as through a desert. He saved them from the hand of their foe, from the hand of the enemy. He redeemed them. The waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them survived. Then look at this, verse 12. Then they believed his promises and sang his praise. Wow. Then they believed. When? Not before the Red Sea, but after God delivered them. How many have been in a difficult situation and, and you complain and you doubt and, and you're not trusting God, but yet God is still faithful and he delivers you. And then later on, you're like, thank you, God, I knew you'd do it. <laughs> Liar. You know where liars go, right? Read the book of Revelation. But there's grace in Jesus, so liars go to the altar, I know. Okay, so what happens is we... <laughs> recognize that God is testing us. Are you going to trust me? When you don't know what to do, when things don't look the way you want them to look, when it seems impossible, are you going to complain? Are you going to murmur? Or are you going to worship me in the wilderness? Worship God in the wilderness so you can praise him in the promised land. So what happens? After God brings them through, then they praise. You can read it in Exodus. And 15 and 16, then they praise, right? Right song, wrong side. So then what happens is God says, okay, I brought you through. But then what does it say? But they what? Soon forgot what he had done. And they did not wait for his plan to unfold. Whoa. God, thank you for leading us. I'll take the steering wheel now. Thank you very much. Let me be in charge of my own life. I'm the captain of my soul. I'm the master of my fate. Or is it the other way around? Master. Anyway, it's God says, you have to let go. You have to relinquish control of your life. The purpose of the wilderness is to bring us to a place where it's natural for us to turn and trust in God. At all times, this is our new default setting. We don't just turn to God when things, when everything else fails or when we've exhausted all other options. No, no, God's not our last resort. He's our only resort. I'm not even saying he's our first resort, guys. That's important, obviously. We go to, but he's our only resort. He is the one that we look to at all times. We trust in him at all times. We live by his word. We wait for his direction and counsel. We do not take matters into our own hands. We commence a new way of living where we obey the words of the Lord. Psalm 46, verse 10. Cease striving and know that I am God. We're convinced that the Father has planned everything. He knows exactly what he's doing, even when we don't. <laughs> when we desist from attempts of moving into our destiny apart from the word of the Lord and the leading of the Spirit. Wow. 
We desist from futile attempts of trying to fulfill our own destiny by our own volition, resources, and abilities. I'm the type of guy, come on now, I'm like this. Let's get it done. Let's, I'm going to take charge. Let's get it done. So many times that's been to my demise, to my chagrin. Because God said, why didn't you wait on me? Why didn't you trust me? And they're in the wilderness. This is pillar cloud. This is pillar fire. When it stopped, they had to stop. They wanted to run ahead of God one time and go up and possess. After God said, you're not going into the wilderness. This generation, you've doubted me. You failed to trust me. You murmured about the good land that I've given you. And they said, sorry, God, we were wrong. Give us another chance. And God said, no, 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 you're not going into the wilderness to that generation. I know it seems tough. And then they said, okay, God, we're, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. And it says that they actually went up and tried to take the land on their own, but the, the Ark of the Covenant was not with them. They were defeated. They were disgraced. They were humiliated because God wasn't with them. God said, you don't march until I tell you. You don't move until I say it's time. We look to God. We know he has a specific way for us to go. A road for us to travel along that will take us to his destination. We learn to wait on him. We find our rest. And I want to just remind you this morning, you know, when we are in a new year. And we, we quote Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. Behold, I do a new thing. Forget the past. I do a new thing. Don't you see it? Don't you perceive it? Even now it springs up. We love that passage of scripture and certainly it's a promise for us. But I'm concerned that sometimes we're too busy beholding the new thing that we can't see the main thing. God says to Israel in Deuteronomy 8 verse 2, before you cross over into the promised land, I want you to remember all the ways I've led you these past 40 years in the wilderness. In other words, God is saying, you need to look back so you can go forward. You need to remember how I led you. You need to remember not only the tests, but my faithfulness in those testings and how I saw you through those testings. He proved himself trustworthy in their trials, dependent in their difficulties. When they were hungry and thirsty, he satisfied them. When they did not know which way to go, he led them. When they faced insurmountable obstacles and overwhelming odds, he fought for them and he destroyed their enemies. He made a way where there was no way because he's faithful. He's altogether trustworthy. He's entirely reliable. You just need to get over yourself and turn over control to him and trust him. You may not like the way he's leading you in your wilderness right now, but I'm sorry to tell you this. It doesn't make any difference. God's not going to change his plan. You can whinge, you can whine, you can complain all you want. God's not going to change 
the journey for you. God is leading us in the way he wants us to go. And I'll be the first to admit that sometimes it doesn't make sense to us. Why is that? Because his ways are higher than his ways and his thoughts than our thoughts. He possesses infinite knowledge, perfect wisdom. He's eternal, almighty. He's omniscient. He sees the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end. He's completely aware of the final outcome of all things. And no matter how it may appear on the surface, trust me, God is actively involved in your journey. God is actively involved in your life. He is leading you. He is working in your life. You may not be be following him. You may not like the way he's taking you, but I'm telling you that God is in charge and in control of your life and he may even interrupt your plans every once in a while and you may say well man I'm experiencing anxiety why because you have this perceived sense of a loss of control and you're worrying and you're, you're, like, you're like you know anxious and you're fretting why because God's saying I'm taking the steering wheel for a seat and you're not going to drive anymore and you don't like it so you begin to hyperventilate and, and God's like I'm going to do what I want to do and what I need to do in your life because I know exactly my plan for your life. I'll close with this verse. I'll finish this message later. Psalm 32 verse 8. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Um, Let's look at this two ways. First of all, it's a promise. Wow. Isn't that awesome? It says, I'm going to guide you. You can count on that. I will advise you. I'll watch over you. You can count on that. That's a promise, right? But secondly, it's a commandment. Let me guide you. Let me advise you. Let me watch over you. Listen, submit, let me do the work. Guys, I don't know where you're at. If you feel like, well, I'm in the wilderness, maybe 2018 sucked, I'm sorry. Maybe 2018 was a very difficult time for you. Maybe it was all right, regardless of what you went through. I wanna tell you that God has a plan. God has a plan. He wants to take you in to the fullness of his blessings. We know his plans are good, right? Not to harm us, prosper us, to bless us, to give us hope and a future. We know that. But God's saying, before you cross over, you need to look back. You need to remember what I did. In Deuteronomy 8, he says several times, remember, remember. He says, don't forget, don't forget. Read the chapter, you'll see. Remember, remember, remember. Don't forget. No, 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 no. I don't want to remember that. Behold, God's doing a new thing. Remember, remember, remember. Don't forget. Don't forget. Don't forget. Don't forget. What was God trying to do you? How was he teaching you? What was he leading you in? How did he challenge you in this past season? Did you rise up to the challenge? Did you obey? Did you submit? We're going to worship God. Come on. He's the faithful one. He's the faithful one. Worship him. 
in the wilderness so you can praise him in the promised land. Switch to Spectrum Mobile and get unlimited data for only $29.99 per month each when you get two or more lines. You could save hundreds on your mobile bill. Plus, there are no added taxes, hidden fees, and no contracts. Click to try the Spectrum Mobile Savings Calculator, and in three easy steps, you'll see how much you could save. Visit SpectrumMobile.com save. Offer valid for new customers on two or more unlimited lines. Spectrum Internet required. Restrictions apply. Visit SpectrumMobile.com for details.